0: Hey, this is Caleb Cole, pastor of Project Church in Sacramento, and man, I am so excited for you to hear this word. I believe God is going to encourage you, strengthen you, and challenge you through it, so get ready to receive from God today. Be here um, talking about Mark 1, 14 through 15. Um, we have made it all the way in three weeks to verse 14 and 15, and I'm only going through two verses this morning, so... Um, How many people say that they know Jesus? They know Jesus. How many people know that a lot of people talk about Jesus? A lot of people say they know a lot about Jesus, but sometimes we don't allow Jesus to transform us. And if the Jesus that we know doesn't transform us, then I don't know if we actually know who Jesus is. And so if we don't actually know who Jesus is, then who are we marked by? Are we marked by our own selfish desires or are we marked by the Son of God, the one who redeemed us and saved us from all of our sins? I'm submitting you to you today that if you are marked by Jesus, your life is changed forever. We sang about it just a little bit ago that Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes everything. And the scripture that I'm going over today talks about the kingdom of God is at hand. We are invited to be a part of the kingdom of God. And when we enter into the belonging of the kingdom of God, then everything changes. Some of us are like, yeah, cool, I, I, I buy into that. The gospel is good. The kingdom of God, that's kind of weird, you know. But I'm here today to really talk about what the kingdom of God is and really truly define that. And I believe that if we understand who Jesus actually is, we understand more the concept and the phrase, the kingdom of God is at hand. My son actually... Asks us constantly, constantly, I have three kids, eight, five, or excuse me, seven, five, and four. The oldest is my little skeptic. And he asks us constantly, I know Caleb has shared this, you know, how do we know if God's real? Like, like but, but how do you know Jesus is real? And so I just reminded him about how maybe three weeks ago or so we had something called Grandparents Day at his school. Um, how many people have been to the, you know, preschool, kindergarten, elementary school performances where all these kids, like the preschoolers are really excited about their songs. And then you get to like third and fourth grade and their hands are in their pocket and they're super embarrassed. <laughs> so it was like one of those, um, those days. And I, I, I wanted to tell them but you can get to know Jesus by like maybe doing a biography report on Jesus. Like the kids did in fourth grade at Grandparents Day. And so I actually think I'm going to try to get him to do that. He's not, he's only in first grade, so he hasn't done a lot of reports yet. But I'm like, this will really help you understand who Jesus is. If we want to understand who Jesus is, I think some of us need to, you know, do biography reports. Because this is what happened on that grandparents' day. The fourth grade class, you know, they were already embarrassed of singing. But so I feel like the teachers were like, okay, let's have four people who will do their biography reports and present them to this room full of grandparents and adults and um, kids and teachers and that'll be really good for them, right? So I was like, can you remember when the kids did the biography report? If you read in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you could like pull out some highlights about Jesus's life and you could really get to know who Jesus is. And so I was reminded of Grandparents Day and I just, side note, there were four kids who were pulled out from the fourth grade classes, and they did a report or they shared their biography reports on Martin Luther King's wife, Susan B. Anthony, Michael Jordan, you know, all pretty, you know, I'm sure these kids wanted to learn about these individuals, right? Well, the fourth person um, was, did a report on, what is his name, Dale Earnhardt Sr. And it was really interesting because I learned a lot about Dale Earnhardt that day. I learned that he quit school. This was in an elementary school grandparents' day performance, right? Um, I learned that Dale Earnhardt quit school before he graduated high school, and then um, he married several women, got several women pregnant and then he and then he he left a few of them and then he and then he got married again, and then he had another baby and then um, it was really interesting I was it was really fascinating, and I was like, man, these parents must be super proud of this kid. And so, and then, he, and then he's like, and he boasted, Dale, Dale Earnhardt, I was really proud because everyone called me indestructible. Then he, the kid carried on, fourth grader, and then at the age of blah, 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 he died and hit a wall. It was the most hilarious thing I've ever experienced at my son's elementary school. But I wanted to remind Canaan that if you were to do a biography report on Jesus Christ, his story doesn't end. There's a beginning, there's a middle. He comes and he arrives on scene in Mark, and then Revelation comes, and then we live on with Jesus' spirit in us. It's eternal. His stories and his highlights are all positive, and they're all hope-filled, and they bring us peace and joy on this earth. And so I'm excited to talk to you about Jesus' life in the coming weeks, but we are going to focus on on Mark 1, 14 and 15, I'll read it to you. This is the first time Jesus is, Jesus comes to the scene and actually Mark, even though it's positioned second among the gospels, is the first gospel that has been, was written and the first words that ever came out of Jesus' mouth that were recorded are found here in Mark 1, 14 and 15. I'll read it to you. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe that they're in the gospel. And so some of you are like, yeah, amen. Like, what does the gospel mean? And wait, what? I'm a part of the kingdom of God? Well, today we're going to be talking about what the kingdom of God is, what that means to us, and it'll really bring to life the gospel to us. And it's, if we truly take hold of the truth of this word, we will see that our lives are going to be changed. Our lives will be changed. Because like I said, everybody wants to talk about Jesus. Everybody relates to Jesus. But we want to do it on our own terms oftentimes. You know people who want to do the Jesus thing on their own terms? but we have to see jesus in his own reality and And that's in these Gospels. That's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we get to go verse by verse, chapter by chapter in Mark. But, you know, so many people say that they know who Jesus is, but they have never opened up the Bible to read the Gospels. If you want to get to know somebody, you research about them. You know them. If you want to know about a celebrity, you pick up People Magazine. If you go, if you want to know about a celebrity, you open up their Instagram and you like stalk them and you try to figure things out. If you want to know who Jesus is, go into the Gospels and understand. These are the actual counts. These are people who walked with Jesus. If you want to be changed by the truth of who Jesus is, I encourage you, I implore you, read the gospels. But here's the thing. We want to know Jesus and do the Jesus thing on our own terms. And I love what C.S. Lewis says in his book, Mere Christianity, you know, because he understood that a lot of people just thought that he was a great moral teacher and that he was just a really good guy. And a lot of people can subscribe to that. I can subscribe to that. He was a really great guy, great moral person. But this is what C.S. Lewis said. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a moral teacher, but I I don't accept this claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Church, we must make our choice. Is Jesus a lunatic or is he the son of God that changes our life? We must make your choice. Our choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit on him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about this great human being being a teacher. He has not left that open to us, he did not intend for that. C.S. Lewis knows the truth that Jesus is the son of God and he is worthy to be worshipped. He is worthy to be the God of the universe and celebrated and honored and worshipped as such. When we take Jesus for who he says that he is, everything in our life will change. Everything changes, our mind shifts, our truth that we know shifts, our life changes, our fine, the way we handle our finances change, the way that we handle our relationships change, the way that we handle forgiveness change, the way that we handle parenting changes, everything changes when we understand and know Jesus to be who he says that he is. So what is Jesus proclaiming in verses 14 and 15? We actually know what he's proclaiming based on a prophecy that was given back in the Old Testament in Daniel. And let me read this to you. Daniel 2.44 says this. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven, Jesus, will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. You know what that means for us? That we will live eternally because we are a part of the kingdom of God. If we accept Jesus into our life as our Savior and as the Son of God and as God Himself, we will live forever. Eternity is with us. But here's the thing what does gospel mean? Have you ever wondered? I mean, you hear that a lot, the gospel. It sounds really good. Yes, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. And you're like, gospel, I don't really know what that means. Well, what it means is it's the good news. The good news. It's news that brings joy. When Mark uses this word gospel for the first time in scripture, written down in accounting God's or Jesus' life, Mark is using a word that a lot of people knew in that day. The word meant history-making, life-shaping news, not just daily news. Okay, this isn't just good news, you know, that we we heard one great thing happen today, a house sold, or, you know, or um, this person became president. Oh, fine. No, no. This is life-altering stuff happening, history-making. In ancient Rome, there was an inscription where we see the word used, and it says this, the beginning of the gospel of Caesar of Augustus. Okay, so this isn't anybody talking about Jesus. This isn't anybody talking about the Bible. This isn't anybody talking about God. This is about the gospel of the Caesar of Augustus. And gospel was something meant that something had happened in history. And it's a history-shaping event that changed everything. It could have been a coronation or an ascension to the throne or a victory in battle, which is what, what the inscription is talking about with Caesar of Augustus. You see, when Greece was invaded by Persia, they won some battles, Okay, and Augustus came into power, but here's the thing. They sent heralds and evangelists to, to share with the people that were in bondage and brought them news that they were now free. And it was proclaiming that there's a new era with Augustus in rule. A new era was coming Because the battle had been won. So what gospel insinuates is that something was fought for and won for, for you. That you are set free and because you are set free because of what somebody else did, because of all the other battles fought, a new era is coming about. That's what the gospel is. And we need to understand the gospel for ourselves, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Jesus is that a new era is coming about for all religion. A new era is coming about for the Israelites and how they knew these laws. But hey, there's a new era. The law has been fulfilled by Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. Something happened in history when Jesus came on the scene. Something was done for us and it changed our status forever. The difference from Christianity and other religions is that religions give a lot of great advice that truly I cannot disagree with. Would you agree? There's a lot of great advice that a lot of other religions give. But the thing about Christianity and what sets it apart is that it is gospel. It is gospel, it changes everything, it's a new era. It's not just good advice, it's something new for us to experience and it's nothing that we have to achieve or attain. It's something that Jesus did for us, it's something that's free, it's the gospel of grace. The work has been completed, there's freedom. You know when the evangelists and the heralds came and told people that they were set free from Persia? Do you think they were like, Oh, cool. Okay, that's great advice. Now I'm gonna just go follow. You know, the new regime. No, a load had been lifted from them. A burden had been that they'd been carrying is lifted. Bondage, like slavery, was. They were set free when the heralds and evangelists came to tell them about the gospel. So we can understand Jesus. The gospel of Jesus Christ sets us free. And it alleviates stress, it alleviates condemnation, it alleviates shame that we never could have alleviated on our own. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Other religions say that you have to do and you have to accomplish and you have to do this in order to attain right standing, But the gospel says this is what has happened and has been done for you. Jesus died on a cross and he shed his blood for you and me. His body was broken so that we might experience his grace, his love, his mercy, peace, and everlasting life. That is the gospel. Christianity isn't just a moral standard advised to us. It's not something that just inspires us. It's something that lifts the weight from us and sets us free and gives us freedom. John Piper puts it this way, the gospel of the kingdom is the good news that in Jesus, in Jesus, God's kingly power and authority is breaking into the world like never before. He is ruling in a new way to save his people from their sins and deliver them from their enemies and reveal his glory and establish peace and righteousness in his earth. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is our call to grace. Grace. Church, when we talk about the gospel, I'm telling you, you can receive Jesus' grace. You can't do anything to earn his love or his approval. He's done it all for you, and he's accepted you, and he has given you the Holy Spirit that you might bring and be about peace and righteousness, and you are standing right before him just by accepting him. You didn't have to do anything but receive him. And the good news is our calling to follow Jesus. When we accept his grace, we have a mantle and a mandate to follow him. We need to follow Jesus. And let me tell you, church, he is worth following. He is worth following. So what does the kingdom of God mean for you today? I don't have this on the screen, but I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. But the kingdom of God is Jesus' power and authority, ruling and reigning over everything. Ruling and reigning over everything. It means that Jesus' power and authority wasn't just for Jesus and the people of that day. It lives on in us once we receive his grace. We are able to have the same power and authority and dispense peace and righteousness to this world that they are dying and longing for. Thank you, Jesus, for the power and authority that we now carry. So what does it mean to follow him? It means that we walk in the understanding of what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. And for us to really truly understand this, we need to understand that the kingdom of God, what does that mean for us today? It implies an urgent call. It's a very urgent call for us. One of the words that are used, um, that is used, nine times in the first chapter of Mark is ethos. It means straight away or immediately. And it's the word that he uses here in Mark. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom is is Now. There is no time to waste. The kingdom is now. There's such urgency in Mark's voice and Mark's writings because the call of God and the call to be a part of his kingdom is a call that is urgent. Here's the thing. You don't know how many days you're going to live. You don't know what will happen when you walk out of this place. You don't know what will happen in 10 days. You don't know what will happen in a year. The kingdom of God is at hand. Receive him today. That's my invitation to you today. It's not my invitation, it's Mark's invitation and it's Jesus' invitation straight from his mouth. First thing that is ever recorded of him speaking, he says the kingdom of God is at hand. It is an urgent call. It's very urgent. He understands that life is a vapor. Right? Life is a vapor. Mark clues us in also that this idea that Israelites had of living and walking in the law, there's a new era now. We're walking in life and freedom because Jesus came to this earth. Mark clues us in that the time has been fulfilled the prophecies that have been written was that you know there was this person who was going to come before the new king, and that was John the Baptist. I'm not even going to go into the first um, first few verses. Go back to the um, the recordings of the, of our sermons, like from a couple weeks ago. Caleb talked about John the Baptist, but the time has been fulfilled. John the Baptist. Has come on the scene, and now the kingdom of God is at hand, and this is where Jesus' ministry begins. And he's saying, The time is here. Don't miss what I am doing. Don't miss what God is doing. You know, sometimes I feel like we are really good at being later people. Let me, let me, let me just illustrate so Caleb and I um, have the due date slash will be removed evicted (laughs) just kidding kind of Um, we must be out of our our home our current home by February 27th and so, so what's today's date I don't have a watch I never today's the 24th and I have not packed a bag I have not packed a thing All my friends are laughing over there because um, they've all been saying, I'll come over for, like, a packing party. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll do it later. Yeah, I got three days, you know. But here's the thing. Before you judge me, you know, and us and our landlords, we're good, you know. um, We are about to buy a house, and with – getting into escrow, we'll, thank you, we'll, um, we'll have a 30-day extension. But here's the thing. I knew that was going to happen. I just knew God was going to come through. But I'm telling you, I think it was easier to just be like, we'll do it later. That's why I got a lot of things happening off three kids. You know, I was like, we'll do it later. We'll get an escrow. Please, Jesus, let us get an escrow. I need a 30-day extension. You know, <laughs> and it happened. But let me tell you, I think the reason why, We are such later people. You'd think, like, we're people who want things now. No, we put things off that we should be doing because we have access to things that happen fast. You know, we're like, oh, I don't don't even have have to take the time to go to the store and shop around for something. I'll just jump online and, you know, Amazon.com, prime it now. You know, like, it makes it easier to push things off. But I think that that's dangerous when it comes to living out the call of God on our lives and our call to grace and our call to follow him. When we say, oh, later, I'm afraid that we, we do what Hebrews 3, 15 through 19 warns us not to do. And it says this, as has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, God's voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Sometimes when we don't respond to God when he's speaking to us, I think we're really close to hardening our hearts. We're hardening our hearts. I, I'm not saying every single time I think there's some just laziness. I mean, and, and again, I'm not saying that you're going to go to hell if you don't join a community group or join a team or do, do, do these things. But I mean, don't put it off. The team fair is in the lobby after this. <laughs> don't worry. No condemnation. It's not really a thing. But truly, are we going to be the now people who obey right away? Who obey right away? That's what I tell my kids all the time. I'm like, what did I ask you to do? This is the fourth time I'm asking you to put away your shoes. Are you going to obey right away? It's the thing that we're trying to teach our kids now. Obey the first time. Let's be the person who obeys the first time so we do not run the risk of hardening our hearts. And here's the thing. You might be like, oh, yes, again, They're talking about repentance, this revival of repentance. We must come to Jesus and repent of all of our sins. But I want you to know that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. I believe that he's saying today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. He's saying, please, I implore you, do not harden your hearts. I want to protect you from bitterness. I want to protect you from broken relationship. I want to protect you from a jaded spirit. I want to protect you from disillusionment. I want to protect you from that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance don't delay the kingdom of God is at hand he wants to extend his love and his grace to you and he wants to give you the peace he doesn't want you to walk in confusion he doesn't want to walk want you to walk in purposelessness he wants you to understand the kingdom of God is at hand I love you it's for you it's for you and it's for you now you have access to it now. Do not harden your hearts. You know, I think about my son, Kai. He's the second oldest. And oftentimes when he gets in trouble, it's, it's a strange thing. He, he gets mad before I can even tell him to go to the corner or before I tell him to say sorry to his brother or sister for punching her or him. You know, so what, what should, I'll be like, Kai, excuse me. I normally say, excuse me if I see him do something wrong. And he goes uh, uh, and I'm like, whoa, 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 what is that? Like, what, what, calm down brother. But it's almost like he wants to punish himself before I have the chance to. And it's almost like he's, he's mad that he knows the consequence is coming. So here's what I find that happens and I think it's just a knee-jerk reaction that when we live outside of the will of God and if we live outside and we make choices that we know are going to get consequences if in a weird way we start getting mad at the wrong things. We start getting mad at God. We start getting mad at other people. We start getting mad at the church. We start getting mad at everything else when we're the ones making the wrong choices. There's a really interesting thing that we found um, out: we have some friends who went to college with Caleb and um, they had some moral fail- failures as pastors. And the church... That they were serving in lovingly, you know, said, we will help you, walk you through restoration. And so these pastors who morally failed, had sex, sexual relations outside of their marriage, you know, they went through this process of, you know, coming back to the church and, you know, forgiveness and restoration. Rest- restored even to their, to their spouses. But what was interesting was that on Twitter, they were really mad at the church. And on social media, they were really mad at God and the Christianity thing. And I thought, that's so interesting. That's so interesting that we get mad at things and people and sometimes the wrong things that are actually helping us. That are also about bringing restoration. Maybe the church doesn't do everything perfect. I know that. That's, that's been a thing. But... I just wonder if our knee-jerk reaction is to get angry at the wrong thing and hold grudges against the wrong thing. Again, God is wanting to protect us from the jaded heart. God's wanting to protect us from a hardened heart that isn't ready to receive him. A hard heart can't receive him. He wants to protect us from that. The loving kindness of God leads us to repentance. Do not delay. Do not delay. He wants you to experience his love and mercy today. He's protecting us because he loves us. So the kingdom of God being at hand, it implies an urgent call. But it also invites us personally. Again, these are the first words out of Jesus' mouth. Did he say, hey, John, go tell everybody about me? Or did he say, hey, 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 Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, or the disciples, Simon and Peter and James, all you guys who are going to follow me, can you, like, um, yeah, y'all come, come follow me. No, you know what he does? He's so personal about it. He says, Monica, Oksana, Caleb, Michelle, Heidi, Josue, Nicole, Donica. You know, he calls us by name. He is so personal. You know, everybody, again, wants to talk about Jesus, but they want to talk about him on their own, on their own terms. But they don't understand that we have access to him personally. We can, once we get to know him, we realize that he, we are we are called by him, called to receive his grace. You know, it's really significant that in a few verses after this kingdom of God comments, um, in a few verses, he asks Andrew, Simon, James, John to follow him, and he asks them by name. But here's the thing that I think is really cool, that in that day, young pupils of the, the Israelites, they would look for rabbis to study under so that they could one day become rabbis too, right? And it, it was that's just the order of that culture and tradition, that pupils would look for rabbis and they'd be like, can I learn from you, can I learn from you? But what's so interesting, what's so unique about Jesus is that he calls you by name. And this rabbi called Simon, Peter, follow me, James, John, follow me. And the cool thing is, Mark 3.14, I know I'm skipping ahead, but it give you a little context. It says this, and he appointed 12, which were the 12 disciples, so that they might be with him. The reason why God calls you is because this faith thing that you're walking with him is a personal thing. And he wants to be with you. He wants to be yours and you to be his. You belong to him. And he wants to be near you. The kingdom of God being at hand is a very personal invitation from Jesus himself because he wants to be with us. He loves us so much. And finally, not only is the, what does the kingdom of God mean for us, it implies an urgent call. It's an urgent thing. It's a very personal thing. And finally, it involves a true transformation. You know, if you want to know what Jesus is about, you can You can see in scriptures that he was all about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Over 126 times he'll make a statement about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand. You guys pray it sometimes. Um, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Do you even know what you're saying when you pray that? What does it mean? It means that your kingdom come, your will be done. We are fulfilling the will of God by embracing and receiving his presence and dispensing the peace and righteousness that he wants us and he wants us to experience and he wants this whole world to experience. Jesus preached the kingdom of heaven more than anything else. Not only did he teach it, but he lived it out. He lived it out and made the kingdom of God evident when he healed people, when he brought people back to life, when he performed miracles and when he forgave people that weren't that shouldn't be forgiven. When he extended them grace, when he died on a cross, he made the kingdom of God evident. And what we're reading today in Mark is that Jesus and his, and his actions and behaviors on earth changed everything. It changed the trajectory of history. It changed everything for us. We no longer have to do all the ceremonial laws in order to be clean before God and righteous before Him. He did the work for us and it changed everything. And here's the thing when He left this earth, He left His Holy Spirit to dwell in and among us. And when the Holy Spirit dwells in and among us, we have the same power that Jesus had, the same power and authority that He dispensed when He was walking the earth. And He says, Even greater things in my name will you do. Church, even greater. Greater things in His name will we do in Sacramento. Greater things in Jesus' name. You know what happens? You know what changed when Jesus came on the scene and when the kingdom of God was at hand, is at hand? People who are physically suffering can receive healing. How many people have received a healing in this place by Jesus? Come on, I want you to testify in this place you know what else happened people who were dead were brought to life how many people have experienced dead parts in their life come back to life when they came to know jesus testify in this place people who have been oppressed when jesus came on the scene they received freedom When there was addiction, there was freedom. Come on, somebody testify today. When there was condemnation, and when we were walking around in shame and condemnation, Jesus entered the scene and we were given forgiveness. That changes everything. Sadness. How many people have been sad in this place? Who have been disappointed? Who has have been in just depression and anxiety? How many people have received joy for their discomfort? Testify in this place, church. How many people lived a purposeless life, didn't know what the meaning was of life? Why are they here? Why do they exist? Do I even need to live longer? When Jesus enters the scene, you have purpose. We know that everything changes when Jesus comes on the scene. And my question for you today, my question for you today, is the kingdom of God evident in your life?
1: Is it evident in your life?
0: If it is evident in our lives, then we're experiencing miracles. We're seeing life change. We're seeing dead things come to life. We're seeing suffering people find healing. We're seeing oppressed people find freedom. We're seeing condemned people forgiven. We're seeing sad people coming, becoming joyful. We see purposelessness people find purpose in Jesus' name. But are you making Jesus evident in your life? We're not simply, like Chris spoke last year, last week, we're not simply imitators of Jesus. When we receive his Holy Spirit and it dwells in us, we become part of his family. We become co-heirs of Christ. You know what that means? That we have the same power and authority that Jesus had when he walked the earth. You have access to that. That is what the kingdom of God is. And I want to be a part of a kingdom that is seeing miracles happen today. Not something that we talk about in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And then it's my grandparents' days. No, we are going to see the kingdom of God come to pass. That this will in heaven will come to pass here on earth and in Sacramento. Amen? The kingdom of God is for us. And I want to say this to you. And it's a blessing over you. Isaiah 52.7 says this, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. That's us. They were prophesying about us in Isaiah. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, are the feet of Danielle that brings good news. Jason that brings good news. Tatiana that brings good news. Come on. Taylor that brings good news. Rachel that brings good news. Lydia that brings good news. Come on. What are your names? Just me, <laughs> Michael and Amy. <laughs> How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Project Church that brings good news, who publishes the peace, who brings good news and happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, you're our God reigns. The kingdom of God is at hand. And there are people who are dying. There are people who are depressed. There are people who need the hope of Jesus. And if we don't start, we're getting that revelation that we are changed in Jesus' name, that other people will not find and experience the hope that he desires for them. Come on, church. Do you want to be a part of the kingdom of God? Are you going to make the kingdom of God evident in your life more than ever before? I challenge you to say, God, show us your glory, and may you be glorified through my life. May you be glorified through everything I say. May you be glorified by every motive in my heart. May you be glorified by every gift used for you. May you be glorified in Project Church. Show us your glory. May the kingdom of God rest among this church may we walk in the power and authority that is ours as sons and daughters of the most high god show us your glory god and may we dispense your peace and righteousness to this world amen amen why don't you bow your heads in this place we hope this word encouraged you today if you haven't heard we recently purchased a building in old sacramento this is going to be the permanent home of project church We are here to stay in Sacramento. But I wanted to ask you if you would consider giving, uh, donating to help make this vision come to fruition. You can go to www.projectchurch.com backslash believe to see more about the building and to donate. God bless you and let's see what God can do through us.